Hey everybody, this is So Heidi, and you're listening to the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. We all know that the fashion industry is brutally competitive and it takes loads of hard work to get ahead. The problem is that everyone's secretive and tight lipped about their ways. After working as a designer and educator for over a decade, I wanted to help break down those barriers and bring you valuable knowledge from industry experts, and this show is exactly where you'll find that. Whether you're trying to break into the fashion world, make yourself more marketable, launch your own label, or become a successful freelancer, we'll help you get ahead in the cutthroat fashion industry. This is episode 22 of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast, and today I'm chatting with Carrie Summers, founder of Fashion Revolution, a global movement calling for greater transparency, sustainability, and ethics in the fashion industry. If you've seen the Who Made My Clothes sign that millions of consumers, brands, and producers have shared on social media, then you know what Fashion Revolution is doing. Simply put, they're asking us to be more curious about where our clothes come from and who made them. In the interview, Carrie shares the harsh truths about what goes on inside many factories, why higher-priced clothing doesn't necessarily mean it's ethically made, and how just a tiny increase is needed to make a huge change. In order for a garment worker in Bangladesh to earn a living wage and for all of the factories there to meet fire and safety building regulations, um, it would cost about an extra... 30 pence in the UK, so sort of 50 cents. Before we jump into the interview, I have a quick favor to ask you. If you enjoy this episode, you can help me get bigger name guests on the show by leaving a rating on iTunes. With more ratings and reviews, it gives the show leverage in convincing higher value guests to do interviews, which brings you even more valuable content. It only takes 60 seconds, and I'd really appreciate it. Visit sfdnetwork.com slash review to leave your rating, and thanks for your support and help. To access the show notes for today's episode, visit sfdnetwork.com slash 22. Now, on to the interview with Carrie. Welcome to the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast, Carrie. I'm so excited to chat with you. Um, and I know that a lot of people listening have probably seen the Who Made My Clothes uh, iconic graphic that you guys have spread worldwide over the past couple of years. But for those of who, those of uh, people who are listening who haven't seen this or who don't know who you are and what Fashion Revolution is, can you start out by telling us a little bit of a backstory um, about who you guys are and what you do? Yes, of course. Um, Fashion Revolution was set up after the Rana Plaza disaster in Bangladesh when the factory complex collapsed, killing 1,138 people. And we believe that this is too many people to lose from the planet in one terrible tragedy in one day without this standing for something. And after the event on the 24th of April, the next week in the press, there was just so many articles that I saw calling for a better, cleaner, more ethical fashion industry. And so we really knew that, you know, this, this had to lead to revolutionary change within the fashion industry. So fashion revolution was really born out of that tragedy. And the whole who made my clothes graphic came about because we saw that the need, really the most pressing need, was for greater transparency. If you can't see the problems, you can't fix them. And it was really obvious after the factory collapsed that brands 
didn't know whether they were producing there. We saw campaigners having to physically search through the rubble, looking for the labels to prove which brands were producing there. And I'm sure so many people who looked at those images thought, oh, well, the brands are just procrastinating. They're waiting to get their press story right. They're not wanting to take responsibility. But I think a lot of the reason was those brands simply didn't know the fashion supply chains have become so long, so complex. There's so much subcontracting in Bangladesh that nobody really has a clear picture of how the industry works. And a lot of brands really don't know where their clothes are being made, let alone where the raw materials are coming from. Yeah, I mean, I have to be honest, I'm, I'm guilty of it on some level too, because I work um, with a lot of agents. And so that's like another middleman, like you said, kind of stuck in the chain. And so how am I to know what's going on behind the doors of that person to the next person to the next person? And so what are you guys, um, what are you guys pushing for brands to do to see that transparency and to understand who is making their clothes what are you encouraging brands to do to make some progress on that level well this year we came out with the second edition of our fashion transparency index and it's really clear that brands have improved a lot since last year we've seen a growing impact, um, a gro growing transparency. We've seen growing disclosure um, of the factories where the brands are producing. But still, the average score for all of the brands was about 49 out of 250. So this is about 20% of all possible points. And many brands, or three brands scored zero, and around a third of the brands scored 10% or less. So it's really clear that a lot of brands really aren't doing much. And even those brands which are doing you know, more than the others are only about half the way up the ladder when it comes to, to transparency. And I think the one thing that was particularly clear for us is that very few brands are actually disclosing the results of their factory audits. They might be mm. talking about you know, maybe how often the factories are audited, but they're not talking about what the results are, what the remediation is. And this means that we really have no way of knowing whether the brand's policies and procedures, which we can often see on their website, are really effective and whether they're really driving change within the industry. And I believe that we as consumers have the right to know that when we're spending our money, it is not supporting exploitation and human rights abuses and environmental destruction. And there's really no way to hold these brands to account unless we can see what's happening behind the scenes. So we really need to keep pushing for these brands to disclose more information. A lot of them are only disclosing piecemeal about you know, the information which they, they really want to disclose. They're um, disclosing more about their environmental practices, particularly in their retail stores, because, of course, this keeps their stakeholders happy, mm -hmm. because a lot of the time it's driving efficiencies, it's driving costs down through using sustainable energy. But they're talking a lot less about things like unionisation. Um, in terms of living wages, we found that even though several brands had committed to paying a living wage, actually only four of them were disclosing what steps they were taking towards paying a living wage. Um, so we really need to see more disclosure of what the brands are really doing um, rather than just the information um, you know, which, which they want their customers to see. So it sounds like what 
what we're seeing is a lot of these brands are sort of saying, oh, we're doing the audit. I'm going to check that off the list. We're doing this. We're doing that. But then they're not actually publicizing the results of that. And they're picking and choosing the good and the bad of what they do or don't want people to see. Did I interpret that correctly? Yes, that's exactly right. Um, so you mentioned something earlier about, you know, some brands receiving a 10% or, or a, a zero. And so I'm curious, how are you guys calculating that score? What are you analyzing within the brand to determine what their score is on that fashion transparency index? Well, we're looking across um, five different scoring sections. So we're looking at policy and commitments. And generally, brands are scoring reasonably well in this section. Most brands are disclosing their policies towards their employees. This could be like their discrimination, their diversity policies, um, their, their wage policies towards their employees, that sort of thing. And also their policies towards the workers. So we're finding, you know, some are a lot better than others. Some might have a one or two line policy. Other ones might have one or two pages with best practice recommendations. We have to score those the same. So they're, they're scoring points for those and also their commitment towards improvement. So are they measuring improvements? Are they publishing in their annual report what their targets are and what they're doing to achieve those targets? We're looking at governance, so who is ultimately responsible within those companies? How can they be contacted? You know, are, is the information publicly available if anybody has a concern about the supply chain? We're looking at traceability, so we're looking at whether the brands publish factory lists, both for their first-tier suppliers, the cut, make, trim. We're seeing an increasing number of brands publishing this information. Um, only 14 brands were publishing their second-tier suppliers, so this might be the sort of processing units where they're washing, laundering, ironing, other um, um, tanning the leather, other um, second tier processes and raw materials. Not a single brand was publishing where their raw materials mm. come from. Um, no show fix. This is going back to what we were just talking about, about the auditing. So how do they know what the issues are? Um, and how are they fixing them? And typically brands didn't score that well in this section. And then we also have a section on spotlight issues, which will change every year. So these are issues which we feel are really key for the, the industry going forward. So we looked at things like unionisation and collective bargaining. We looked at living wages. And we also looked at the business model. So were the brands doing anything um, to promote repair of their products? You know, were they taking back products and refurbishing them, for instance? Mm. So these are the five sections. Um, and typically, brands will have scored best in policy and commitments and probably worst in the no-show fix and the spotlight issues. So it seems like the deeper you're kind of getting into their supply chain and the deeper you're getting into the, the product, the lower the scores started to trend. That's right. And it's, you know, really very easy for any brand to put a policy on their website. Sure. It's, you know, whether they're adhering to that policy, you know, whether their practices are actually in line with their policies, um, which is important. I mean, it is shocking that some brands still don't have policies of any kind on their, their website, either for their employees or for their, their producers and factories. Yeah. Um, but the majority of them do. So let's talk a little bit about um, 
you know, kind of the root of a lot of what you guys are doing, which is the who made my clothes. And you've mentioned, you know, the worker and the the fair living wage and the safe working environment for a lot of these people who are working in the factories in various countries. And um, I know you guys just launched your podcast. Congratulations on that. I listened to all the episodes. It was wonderful and really gave a nice inside story into what truly is going on behind the scenes. And I know a lot of us, you know, see some of these things that happen, the Rana Plaza incident, for example, but they happen. And then, you know, maybe a week later, the average consumer just kind of forgets about it and moves on to the next thing in their life. And so can you paint us a little picture of what's really going on behind the scenes in some of these factories on an ongoing basis? And how long has that been going on um, in the industry and, and the importance of fixing that? Yes. Um, I mean, one of the main projects which we've worked on this year, which has been really exciting, is the Garment Worker Diaries. This is a project led by Microfinance Opportunities. And it's the biggest ever survey conducted on the ground of garment workers over the course of a year. Mm. So we talked to 540 garment workers in India, Cambodia and Bangladesh to try to get a real intimate insight into their lives. So the researchers were asking the garment workers about what they were earning, what they were buying, how they were spending their time each day, how much money went on rent, for example, um, were they experiencing any harassment, injuries, suffering from any pain in the factory. Um, also learning about important events, about illnesses, weddings, birthday parties, funerals and that sort of thing. And this data is such a treasure trove. We have a whole Garment Worker Diaries section um, of our website, which is dedicated to this. And it's a real treasure trove. There's different um, country profiles on the three countries and information about specific profiles on some of the workers. Um, It's really fascinating and it's also really shocking. So, for instance, 40% of the workers who were interviewed have seen a fire in their factory. Now, this means that every day people are still taking risks to make our clothes. So, um, you know, this is really fascinating research and we're really hoping that the information will get out to the brands, the factory owners, the consumers, particularly policy makers, will give a real insight into identifying how the decisions we make will affect the lives of garment workers. Um, as part of this project, one um, on our website, we have just dedicated a page at the end of last week um, to a letter which people can fill in two brands so um, you can just put the brand's name in it has a list of around 150 different brands and it will send an email to that brand asking what they're doing about unionization collective bargaining and better wages for the workers in their supply chain so this is a really easy way which people listening can participate all you have to do is put the brand's name in put in your email address and that email immediately gets sent to the brand and you can fill it in for as many different brands as you want to and so um you know you keep kind of taking this back to the consumer and so Who do you see being able to have the biggest impact on this? I mean, obviously, the brands are the ones at the end of the day calling the shots of where their product is made um, and which factories they choose to source with. But it sounds like just the everyday consumer, just each individual person as, as just one little person can 
collectively make a huge impact. So do you see kind of pushing each individual consumer harder is going to have a bigger impact? Or what have you guys seen over the past couple of years that you've been working on this? I think really there's two main ways, and it is it's a push and a pull approach. So consumer pressure is really key, but also legislation is really important. We believe that laws and regulations are really key for transforming the fashion industry. Um, in France, for example, companies are required to report annually on their environmental, social, corporate governance issues. We have um, the relatively recent UK Modern Slavery Act, the California Transparency and Supply Chains Act. And these require companies to disclose their efforts to eradicate human trafficking and slavery from their supply chains. Um, but the enforcement of these laws is often absent and the implementation is weak, particularly in countries, particularly in manufacturing countries. And there also appears to be little opportunity to address violations through the courts. And this is what really needs to change. Um, we're hoping that the Fashion Transparency Index really helps to demonstrate the need for mandatory due diligence and reporting. We were talking about how you know, brands have a very piecemeal attitude towards reporting their progress. But if there was mandatory due diligence and reporting, we'd like to sort of see brands reporting, you know, being obliged to report the same things, disclose their real impact um, throughout their supply chains, wherever in the world they're, they're producing. Yeah. And so um, you, I know you said in the Fashion Transparency Index, you'd seen some improvements in terms of the brands, you know, getting better scores and, you know, maybe being more ethical in their production. But I'm curious, um, these impacts that you guys have been able to make so far with these brands, are they finding different factories and then what's happening to the factories where they used to source or are the factories that they're working with, are they putting their foot down and demanding better working environments within those existing factories? What have you guys seen on, on those levels? You know, how are brands shifting? And then, and if they do shift, you know, what happens to the factories where they maybe move away from? Or I, I don't know if you have that inside information. Yes, I mean, we certainly aren't encouraging brands to shift to better factories. Um, you know, what, what we're encouraging and what the Bangladesh Accord is working towards is um, better working conditions in Bangladesh and throughout the rest of the industry and other garment manufacturing mm -hmm. countries. I mean, unfortunately, we've heard through numerous reports that the structural, the electrical, the fire safety improvement plans are far behind schedule. Um so, yes, and we certainly aren't encouraging brands to, to move away. And, you know, most factories have, have some issues. I mean, the Bangladesh Accord at the beginning, you know, the majority of factories did have remediation issues. And probably if that was replicated in other countries, we would find, you know, similar issues which needed improving. Mm -hmm. um, so, yes, it's, I mean, what needs to happen is there needs to be greater collaboration across the industry. There needs to be... Um, so brands working as part of multi-stakeholder initiatives um, because no brand, I mean, even the very best of brands working with the best of factories is going to change the industry alone. You can't take a factory by factory approach in order to bring systemic change to the fashion industry. Mm -hmm. So we need to look at um, you know, things like collective bargaining and over 90% of garment factories around the world, the workers still have no right to bargain collectively with their employer over wages or over their working conditions. And this really illustrates how far we have 
to go, so this is what we need to see. We need to see certainly brands engaging a lot more with, with unions. And that's why we're collaborating with Industrial Global Union, the Solidarity Centre, um, to really push the role of unions in bringing about change within the industry. Yeah, and there's some really disheartening stories where some of these workers try to speak up and they're, I mean, I mean, sometimes it results in death. Am I not mistaken? Yeah, no, completely, completely true. I mean, you know, I guess my area, sort of main area of specialism is, is Latin America. And certainly in Central American countries, looking at places like Honduras, activists who have spoken up about human rights, about environmental issues, have been killed. I mean, the number of people who have been killed in Honduras in recent years is is really, really shocking. Yeah. Um, and so, yes, I mean, people do, you know, we, we've seen intimidation, we've seen trade union leaders being thrown into prison, re, you know, very recently in, in several countries. So it's certainly something which needs to change. And we need people to be able to speak up. We need garment workers, union leaders to have a voice without fear of intimidation and reprisal. Yeah. And so um, in the past few years, and I know you guys are still pretty young, three, three and a half, four years old, mm-hmm. um, and and all this is an insanely huge task to take on. I mean, changing these types of infrastructures doesn't happen overnight um, and changing, you know, government uh, law and things to that extent does not happen very quickly. But have you seen some of the governments in some of these countries where some of the worst exi- uh, conditions exist? Are they leaning in the right direction? Are they kind of getting on board? Are you making progress? Are they hearing what you're saying? Or are you just getting a lot of pushback and it's still a really giant uphill battle? Yeah, difficult. I mean, we, uh, I guess because we're based in the UK, we're mainly engaging within the EU and the European Parliament. And we we do have country coordinators in around 100 countries around the world. So we certainly encourage our country coordinators to engage directly with um, policymakers, with governments in their own countries. Mm -hmm. We can't directly engage with sort of every government in every garment producing country. But we certainly are finding that people are listening. Our head of policy, Sarah Ditti, uh, spoke at the European Parliament during Fashion Revolution Week ahead of a really important um, vote. And the recommendation was passed. So the European Parliament are looking at bringing in um, mandatory due diligence reporting mm-hmm. um, on in, within garment um, supply chains. That's fantastic. Um, and again, I mean, cheers to you guys, because I know this is not a small task to take on and, and it does take time. And, um, you know, these things don't happen overnight and they don't get resolved overnight. So it, it does require a lot of effort and patience. Um, on that note, what have been some of the proudest moments you guys ha- have had over the past couple of years with everything that you've done? Oh, gosh. Um and I think seeing the impact figures every year is always really exciting. You know, just seeing the amount of people, around 2 million people engaged in some way this year. We had 533 million impressions of the hashtag, um, around a thousand different fashion revolution events. Um, so, you know, it's really exciting to see the big figures. But for me, the thing that makes me happiest is actually seeing 
the photographs of the producers looking at the I made your clothes hashtag. Mm. Um, I know somebody wrote on Twitter last year that the I made your clothes hashtag brought them more joy than any other hashtag. (laughs) And it is true if you scroll through and you see the photographs, you see people engaging, you see quite big brands engaging. I mean, we just noticed this week that, um, you know, Fat Face, which is, is a relatively large UK brand, have got a producer with a I made your clothes sign on the back of their new catalogue. Mm. So brands really are starting to engage and it's wonderful to see the images of the people who make our clothes. Um, I've also loved travelling. I've been travelling quite extensively and meeting producers. Um, you know, I met a, a union leader in Argentina recently and just you know, seeing how people are just appreciating our work and building those those links and those collaborations, I think is is you know it makes me I think proud but also humble as well. You know, I, I don't feel like this is some huge movement which which I've built. It might have been my initial crazy idea, but fashion revolution has grown really really organically. It's grown through people, it's going through producers, it's going through campaigners, through academics, through students, through consumers, um, through makers, and everyone is a part of the fashion revolution. Everybody is playing a really important role. So congratulations on all this amazing success. I mean, I think that one of the strongest things that users and, and consumers can see is the human connection between this person that made their clothes and seeing that picture of them holding that sign and then having that connection between that product, that brand, and the clothes that they're actually wearing on their back. Um, And so, you know, that's such a great movement that you guys have been able to implement. So congratulations on that and all the other successes. Um, One other thing I'd love to touch on is really getting down to what everybody listening can do. And so we've talked about on your website the ability to fill out that form and submit to a brand asking them, hey, who made my clothes? But stepping beyond that, because a lot of the people that that are listening um, are going to be already working in the industry. And so this falls into two two big categories, I'll say. One is going to be designers, um, or not even necessarily designers, but people working within fashion brands as an employee within a company. And then two is going to be designers who have or are working on launching their own collection. And so I'd love for you to talk a little bit about, you know, what can some of these um, designers or people working in the industry do? So if I'm an employee for a fashion brand, what would be the most impactful thing I could do within my company? Okay, well, we're asking everybody to ask the question, who made my clothes? Now, typically, this is the consumer's asking the brands, but also if you work within the industry, you can ask your suppliers. And then if your suppliers don't know, encourage them to ask their suppliers. And this way, there will be more accountability throughout the supply chain. So if as a design, you're buying a fabric, ask the supplier of your fabric if they know where it was made, where it was woven, where it was dyed, where the raw materials come from. Tell them that you're interested in purchasing more sustainably more ethically and that this is really important for you and then hopefully if they don't know they will start to discover more they will realize there's more demand for transparency Mm. and they will start to stock um, textiles which are more traceable and then also you know look 
for those suppliers who are um, selling more sustainable fabrics, more ethical fabrics, organic cottons. Um, so I think that's the main thing which young designers can do. And also young designers typically or new designers have you know, very short supply chains. A lot of them know who their makers are. It might be themselves um, or they might just have a small workshop of people. So a lot of young designers who are starting out can be transparent. They can embed transparency into their business from the outset and continue to embed that transparency as they grow. So you can you can post pictures of the people making your clothes and it might just be three or four people but you know tell these stories write a blog for the fashion revolution website and just show us the people who are making your clothes these don't need to be people in bangladesh or india or china they can just as easily be people um, working in australia in the united states in in europe so i think it's really important that people realize that you know there's garment workers everywhere and we need to value all of them we need to give all of them a face and a voice yeah one thing you guys say a lot and it's on your website in multiple areas is just be curious and i love that it's so simple those two words and it really goes back to exactly what you just said when you're sourcing your fabric you know maybe it's coming through an agent then just be curious about that and talk to them and have an open conversation it doesn't need to be this um you're putting anybody on the spot or you're being too aggressive about it but just be curious about where these items are coming from where they were produced and what's the story behind them i think that's a really simple takeaway just those two words is just be curious and and ask questions and and that alone can have a huge impact Yes, it really can. I mean, we have just run our first fashion revolution MOOC, which is a massive online course. And um, we've seen thousands of people signing up for this. And it's been really interesting seeing some of their responses. You know, as part of um, the course, people were asked to ask the brand's who made my clothes, um, to try to find out more about where the raw materials came from. Some brands got really quite good responses from customer services online. Other brands got, other consumers got no answers at all. And then they started to dig deeper and actually do their own investigation to look at the brand, to look at sort of press releases about the many human rights, any environmental abuses, to look at any sort of online information about the raw materials they use and start to do their own investigation and to dig deeper. So it's been really interesting with some of the results of the the MOOC online on our, our blog and really exciting to see people um, you know, getting frustrated with the brand's lack of response, getting frustrated with the responses they're getting and starting to do their own investigations and in many cases publishing those on their own blogs. Yeah. Um, and then one thing I want to bring up, because I think this is something that's probably at the forefront of everybody's mind. I mean, I, I know it's always at mine um, and, and my clients and the end consumer, um, but you guys addressed this really well in the first couple episodes of your podcast. And so I'd love for you to share um you know, how much does this really affect the cost of the end garment, the end product? Because we're all very, very, very price sensitive. Um, I shouldn't say we're all, but a lot of shoppers are price sensitive. And by no means does that mean that this should come at the cost of someone earning a fair wage or someone working in unsafe working conditions. I mean, these are just basic human rights that everybody should have. So by no means does that um, justify these prices that everybody wants. But 
how much does, you know, creating a fair, safe, healthy working environment for the entire supply chain really affect the end cost? Does that take a $20 item and drive it up to $60? Or what are we really looking at for the realities of that affecting the end price? We're looking at very little. I mean, the typical percentage um, which the worker earns as part of the overall cost for garment is usually around two to three percent. Oh, it's tiny. So, so it's really, really tiny. And it's been estimated that in order for a garment worker in Bangladesh to earn a living wage and for all of the factories there to meet fire and safety building regulations, um, it would cost about an extra 30 pence in the UK, so sort of 50 cents um, on the cost of a garment. So we're talking you know, about a tiny, tiny amount. We're yeah. talking about you going shopping and the difference of you know, going out and buying a coffee afterwards or not buying a coffee afterwards if you have a bag full of clothing. Really, really small amount. And also just because you're paying more for a garment really doesn't mean that it's been made in any better conditions. I mean, a lot of particularly mass-produced luxury garments, are made on exactly the same production lines in countries like Bangladesh. They might be paying maybe an extra 25 cents because they might have a little more detailing on the pockets or, or slightly better quality seams. But you're really talking about very, very little cost differential. And the majority of the difference in price is is just marketing and branding. Yeah. And so then as a consumer, besides going and asking the brand who made my clothes, um, and I suppose it's, it's kind of a chicken and an egg thing, how do I know the brands that I'm purchasing off the shelf? Am I contributing to a a healthy supply chain or not? I mean, if the, the price is not an indicator, you know, what can I really do as a consumer to make sure that I'm buying the right product and supporting a healthy and fair supply chain? Well, again, it comes back to be curious. So do your own investigations. You can look at Fashion Revolution's Fashion Transparency Index. Mm. That lists 100 of the biggest global brands. We're going to be expanding that to 150 brands next year. You can look at um, other organisations like Project Just. You can look at Ranker Brand. And it also depends on what's important to you. You know, if the environmental side is more important, then maybe looking at Ranker Brand and seeing which companies have the most environmental responsibility, which ones have the best animal welfare, for instance. You know, that might be more important for some people. whereas worker rights might be much more important for other people Mm -hmm. so I don't think there's any right or wrong I think it depends on each individual what your priorities are in terms of ethics and sustainability and then you need to choose the brands which best match your priorities yeah so it's all about again being curious and doing some self-education and then choosing you know where you want to put your dollars yes exactly that's great some really great insights on on what you know one single person can do, and then collectively that can add up to a huge impact. Um, is there anything you guys are working on um, coming up that you'd like to share with us, Carrie? 
oh gosh there's so much that we're working on it's really hard to keep tabs on it all i mean one really exciting um project will be the launch of our next fanzine so our first fanzine came out in february and it was called money fashion power so it looked at the balance of power throughout the fashion supply chain you know kind of who who gets what and it was really really well received and our second fanzine is going to be on waste so we have lots of really exciting contributors we have artists illustrators poets um some really great writers and there will be a lot of information there both on pre-consumer and post-consumer waste um and what we can can do um as consumers and um as people working within the industry to minimize the waste within the fashion supply chain so that's really the next very exciting project coming up that's fantastic and when is that going to be out that's going to be out in October, towards the end of October, I believe. Okay, okay, fantastic. Um, and where can everybody find more about you guys and what you guys are doing? Um, our website, fashionrevolution.org, is the best place to go to. And you can also follow us on social media. We're fash underscore rev on Instagram and Twitter. And we're also on Facebook. Awesome. And I'll put all of that in the show notes. And I'd like to end with the question I ask everybody at the end of the interview. And that is, what is one thing people never ask you about working in the fashion industry that you wish they did? Well, I guess it's related to what we've been saying. I mean, one of the things which I really want to convey to people is how much impact they can have. I mean, the my inspiration for um, starting in the fashion industry to start with was Anita Roddick. And I thought, you know, if this woman has had such an impact on the beauty industry with really no experience at all within the industry, then there was nothing to stop me from doing the same within the fashion industry. Mm. And one of her quotations I love, which has been much quoted, is if you think you can't have an impact, try to get going to bed with a mosquito. And I think... <laughs> So many people think, you know, they're too small, you know, when the, even when they group together, you know, it's just what they say isn't going to make a difference. But it was after the first Fashion Revolution Week, I talked to an industry insider, a consultant who worked with several of the major brands. And he said that for every one person who bothered to get off their backside and ask the brand who made my clothes, they were taking that as representing 10,000 people who thought the same but couldn't be bothered to do anything about it. Mm. So I think this really brings home to me the incredible power that we have as consumers if we choose to use it. Yeah, that's great. And I think that that's something that everybody struggles with is, oh, I'm just one person. I can't really do anything. Um, and so it's really about shifting that mindset and saying, you know what? No, I can. I'm going to do this and I'm, and it's going to make an impact. Um, so thank you for the reminder of all um, of all of that. And uh, yeah, going to bed with a mosquito, you surely wake up in the morning realizing what one little thing can do. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for chatting, Carrie. It was really lovely to have you and um, appreciate everything you're doing. Congratulations on all the success and, and thank you for, for helping make our industry a better place. Oh, thank you. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Awesome. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to episode 22 of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about any of the resources mentioned in this episode, visit the show notes at sfdnetwork.com slash 22. 
And since you made it this far, you must have liked the episode. I'll remind you that with more ratings and reviews, I have more leverage to convince higher value guests to do interviews, which brings you even more valuable content. If you can take 60 seconds to leave a review on iTunes, your tiny bit of help goes towards making the show better for you and everyone. It's super easy to do, and I'd really appreciate it. Visit sfdnetwork.com slash review to leave your rating, and thanks for your support and help.